This is an audio version of the 24th annual DICE Awards Roundtable Series. To watch the video of this episode, please visit youtube.com slash official AIAS. Brought to you by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, this is the award celebration by game makers for game makers, honoring the games that connect players around the globe. No matter where we come from or what our interests, video games bring us together. We gather here to honor our fellow creators and the very best of interactive entertainment. Welcome to the 24th Annual DICE Awards. Welcome to the 24th Annual DICE Awards conversation on outstanding achievement for an independent game. Some of our nominated titles come from extremely small teams, but even that being the case, uh, their peers have recognized them for their ability to make so much with so little uh, and, such, and with such small teams. Uh, this is one of my favorite categories, and I'm really excited to talk about the nominees today. First up from Hades, we have Darren Korb. How are you doing, Darren? I am doing great. How about yourself? Good, good, good. I'm excited to have you here. You know, give the folks at home a little bit of information about the work you've done in this space. Sure, yeah. I'm the audio director for Supergiant Games, and I've done the music and sound design and voiceover direction for all four of the Supergiant Games, including Hades. Fantastic. So, so excited to have you here. Uh, from If Found, we have Laura McGee. How are you doing, Laura? How's everything going? Yeah, everything's great. Uh, delighted to be here, too. Excited to have you. Let the folks at home little, know a little bit of information about yourself as well. Yeah, so uh, this past year, in 2020, we released If Found. I was the director on the project, and we've been working on it for a couple of years before that. Uh, and I kind of come out of like an experimental games background, and this kind of takes this erasing mechanic and then tells the story of a woman kind of erasing her diary and trying to erase herself uh, and then a hopeful end to it, hopefully. <laughs> very, 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 very cool. Excited to have you here. Uh, coming from Kentucky Route Zero TV edition, we have Jake Elliott. How are you doing, Jake? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks. Good. Give the folks at home a little info about yourself as well. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm uh, Jake, and I'm, I'm one of three people who uh, make up the team that worked on Kentucky Route Zero. For the most part, it's me and uh, Tomas Kamensi and Ben Babbitt are the other two guys. Um, my role was uh, writing and uh, some programming and design stuff that we kind of shared with, with, the rest, uh, with the whole group. Very, very cool. Thank you so much for being here. And from Noida, we have Arvi Takari. How are you doing, Arvi? Uh, I'm doing fine, thank you. I hope you are still doing fine despite this break between the questions yeah absolutely absolutely i mean i'm, I'm excited to, to have you all here and, and let the folks at home know a little bit of information about the work you've done in this space as well yeah so uh i'm kind of one third of the noita team uh nowadays one fourth i don't know how to exactly how the maths work there but let's say i'm one of the original three people who started work on that game uh, I'm the non-programmer person in the team. I've done like design and art and stuff while leaving the actual difficult parts for, for the smart people in the team. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the work I've done, but it's been quite a journey. Noita, it's, it's a unique, unique kind of thing. So it's been really exciting to see it kind of grow and give my part to it. Fantastic. So, so excited to have you here as well. And last but not least, we have our friends from Toge Productions, Coffee Talk. How are you doing, Chris? Good. Thank you. Awesome. 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 Give the folks a little bit of information about the work you've done in this space uh, as well. Um, yeah. So I started um, making games in around 2009. And that's um, 
And we started as a flash game developer, making you know like uh, casual flash games on the web, and that's how we started uh, Toge Productions. And we've been basically uh, making indie games and helping other Indonesian game developers uh, publish their games to to the global market. And now we're not only a, a game developer, but we also publish you know, uh, other Southeast Asian game developers um, to the to the global market. So let's get into it. I'm excited to have you all here again. You know, this is one of my favorite uh, parts of the show, one of my favorite categories, because I have a, such a big love of the indie space and all the work that you all kind of have done. You know, it's ex extremely hard to, to, to make a game, and, and especially within the indie space, you know, being a part of, you know, kind of really small teams and trying to figure out ways to bridge out, you know, how to kind of make the best game with the resources that you have. Um, I'm really just curious about, you know, you know, for each of you, you know, in your independent studios, you know, tell us what the kind of most challenging parts of, you know, developing a game with a small team is and, and kind of imagine, you know, you know, for the amounts of games that we that we have seen make it, there are so many that don't. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about, you know, for your games in particular, like, how did you actually kind of bridge that gap? How did you get it over the finish line and, and finally make it? Um, Darren, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this initially, and we'll kind of run the, run the horn uh, to, to see, you know, other thoughts from other folks. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think one of the most important things you can do, especially as an independent developer, is, is have like a, a smart scope for the, for the project you're working on, something that you're going to be able to to make a, a big impact with the like the small amount of resources that you have and how can you use those resources in an efficient, effective way that's gonna to play to the strengths of the team. Laura, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that too. Uh, I think, you know, with, with the game you've made, it feels like you all had this very cohesive, you know, thought behind what you wanted to kind of put out in the world and, and you know, hearing what Darren talked about in terms of resources, I'm sure that might kind of resonate as well. I think like there's always this challenge of figuring out what the game is about, you know, like what's <laughs> that core thing that's like the most important bit. And uh, like you spend a lot of time, uh, like <laughs> so much of like, I'd say the first half of the first two thirds of your project, you're creating ideas and you're adding all this stuff. And then at some point you gotta like, you're adding ideas without knowing where it's going and it's figuring out where it's gonna end up that allows you to then cut everything and get to, okay, here is our end point, or here is like the most important part of the game. Um, with it, find like another big creep. Yeah, like totally. Um, and you kind of like, I mean, that's that's the nice thing about deadlines is like, okay, I gotta, I gotta like <laughs> figure this out as soon as possible. Uh, at least I'll put. Okay, we're showing the game off. I think for us, like one of our first like public points was um, Shona at PAX in 2019 and put a trailer at the same time. And it was like, oh crap, let's just get whatever we can together to show it to the public. And like, hopefully it'll be cool. And then when you get that done, it's like, oh yeah, this is all right. Like, let's finish this. <laughs> That's like a good way of going about it. Um, yeah. the, the, other, the other thing for us was like building a team because uh, this was our first project uh, of this kind of scale. So um, yeah, finding like the right team members and stuff to collaborate with was like an an ongoing challenge, but uh, yeah, it's been nice to get here for sure. Yeah. Um, Arvi, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that too. I think, you know, you talked about the kind of, you know, future, uh, feature creep part that winds up being a part of the space. How did you kind of deal with that uh, in, in, in terms of making your game? Yeah, so, so other things said here have already resonated very heavily for me or us. 
Uh, I definitely feel that one of the big difficulties for us with Noita was that we had a really cool idea of this pixel physics, everything is simulated kind of thing. And then turning that into an actual game was the, obviously the technical stuff, the engine and things took time, but really the design was the really big thing that we had to figure out. And in that sense, uh, I wish that always, when everyone started a game project, they had a really kind of solid idea of, of scope and what we are doing. But sometimes you end up in a situation where you really don't. And from <laughs> uh, when we developed Noita, I joined the project in 2012. And uh, I think we decided what kind of a game we are making in 2016 or 15. So that was a bunch of years of like throwing things at the wall and just kind of seeing, understanding that we have this really cool thing. How do we convey that it's cool for the players? What kind of a game would tell that story the most in the most interesting way? And also relating to kind of the team, there's also just kind of um, figuring out how to work on a team if you have a game project that suddenly turns out to go for a really long time, how can you manage the social experience? Because of course it's a social thing. You develop a thing together. Everyone has different opinions. Everyone has different views. How do you make sure that no one gets left behind? No one gets kind of frustrated uh, or at least more frustrated than the others with the project. It's uh, it's definitely a big amount of work, but I'm I'm happy that we, like the where Ennoita ended up was way cooler than I would have expected, I guess, in like 2012 when I saw the first <laughs> prototype. <laughs> I want to come back to that in a minute because I think there's some really good meat on the bone in terms of you know working you know with with team members and working across ideas when it comes to that. But I want to I want to give Jake a, a second to kind of answer the initial you know how did you kind of get it across the finish line question, and I have a follow-up for all of you around that too. So Jake, yeah. you know, what was, what was the kind of process in that for you? For you? Yeah, well, for us, I mean, it, it was, we, we had a, a sort of an idea of a scope when we started the project and, and we like almost immediately like tripped over that and fell into this completely other project that we ended up actually developing. And it took us, you know, like nine and a half years or something like that, instead of the <laughs> 18 months that we were hoping for originally. And, it, you know, so the, so the challenge for us was, was, you know, really, Similarly, like just how do you keep the, the team, uh, which was the three of us, how do, how do we all keep engaged and passionate and, and stable, financially stable, emotionally stable, dealing with this long-term project? And um, that was really tricky to find out, but or to, to work out how to do that, I think. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the, um, you know, one thing with, I think with, with all of us here was we have these these pretty small teams that, that uh, were, you know, we were really invested in these teams and, and, and the, um, the having gone through that process it, it was very difficult and it was expensive and and took a lot out of us but it it felt like we were building the team you know building uh, learning how to do this so that we can try to do it again in the future and stuff uh and developing strengthening our relationships as collaborators the three of us and stuff so uh so it feels like a, a worthwhile investment of, of blood sweat and tears i think it, at least at, at that level we can continue to work in this way uh, I, for sure. I think like <clears throat> that like perseverance is so important as well um uh, before we started working with her publisher i think we were starting like a new project every like three or four months because each time it just kept getting too big uh so having that okay this is the one we have to finish this time was like really helpful uh but then you get to the end you have oh here's all the things that we had to cause like 
we could just make a game with all this stuff now, which is kind of nice, you know, it's like a constant, <laughs> you gotta kind of like train yourself to finish it, I think a little bit as well, rather than I'm, just working on the cool, exciting things. Right. Well, I'm curious, because you, and I like, I love the fact that you kind of pointed to that, because the, you know, the, the hardest part, especially kind of in the indie space is one, you know, avoiding as much feature creep as you possibly can while trying to keep everyone focused and doing that part of it. And then you also have those moments of the year when you know your game is almost about to come out and then you're like you know PAX is going to be a thing we have to figure out a way to show a vertical slice of this game in a way that's going to you know keep people excited or get them you know get them kind of in this in the space too I'm, I'm curious to hear you know how much of that has changed in terms of the conversations you're all having amongst your peers about you know we need to figure out how to how to build up the vertical slice in a way that feels good but also actually represents and shows your you know your game off well uh in a way that that feels kind of genuine in that way um jake i, I want to go back to you on that because your your game is, is very much a narrative based one in that way and there's you know parts to it that, that kind of lean into that into that kind of segmented version of it i'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that yeah, right. Well, we decided to release the game in, in episodes, and, and a big part of that, um, it, it wasn't our initial vision for the game, but uh, a big part of that decision was was about exactly this, like maintaining, feeding the audience, nurturing the audience, you know, <laughs> at the same time as we were talking about kind of trying to keep our team alive, or just like trying to keep the audience alive. And uh, and we, we it was really hard for us to share teasers and things like that, because we were very sensitive about not spoiling these sort of moments of, of novelty or surprise that that we're kind of load bearing in our story and um and so it was really hard to figure out how to yeah how to keep in touch with the audience and i think things have changed a lot um in in that sphere in, in independent games maybe more than anything else like the way that the audience finds the games is really different now than it was in in 2010 when we started working on on our game um uh, and, and now we have stuff like itch.io and we also have when, when we started working on Kentucky Red Zero Steam was like a totally closed marketplace. So now now it's it's open for, you know, for everybody to submit games through. That's really awesome. And, and itch.io is really awesome. And they're kind of other great um, sort of marketplaces and communities to for where where the audience can keep up on the game. Uh, that That's one of the changes that I think has been really positive. I want to so, stick with that really quickly with you. I think, you know, since since your game kind of started from, a, you know, within the Kickstarter campaign ecosystem. You yeah. know, and, you, and you've seen the game kind of move through its five acts and, and you know, publish those to console and PC, you know, kind of thinking back, do you think like that that has changed kind of the way that most indie games kind of think about development now? They feel like they have these kind of extra avenues to kind of be in that space and having it through those extra yeah, like as opposed to a publisher or something, is that what you're yeah. saying? Like the, the crowdfunding stuff? Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. that stuff is really cool. It's It's been great that it's sort of like at least destabilized some of the kind of stable, you know, um, sort of constrained, limited ways that people could get games out, at least shook things up a bit. Uh, you know, it, the same thing happened with Kickstarter that happens with everything, which is that at first, like indies and, and small actors can get access to it and then people figure out how to take advantage of it. And now, you know, the Kickstarter, like when we did a Kickstarter for Kentucky Route Zero, our goal was like $7,000 or something like that. And then, you know, a, a year later, the numbers started getting really big with like Double Fine Adventure and stuff. And it's like millions of dollars. So this is just like a different, uh, a different focus, you know, for that platform. But I think like seeing things shake up that way with crowdfunding, uh, led to a lot of, of the more the stuff that is still very accessible for for small uh, independent artists and, and that stuff is still going strong. I think it's just 
still going strong. I think itch is one of those and, and Patreon is another one. And then there's also just like social changes. People are, are more open to relating to games in this way, to having a sort of vision and seeing a game and, and, and saying, uh, accepting the, the, that the artist is saying, this is going to be something much more than you're seeing now in, in five years. And I think gamers, uh, our audience is a lot more receptive to that now than they, they were 10 years ago, which is great for a lot of artists. I think. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Darren, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about, you know, your team is, is is a fairly small team. The crew is a fairly small crew. You know, for Hades, how important is it to to, to find that focused vision uh, in a game where you're kind of working in at this kind of indie scale? You know, a lot of times I'm sure folks are kind of, you know, everyone's attention winds up getting diverted while you're kind of doing that work because you're doing it for so long. But I'm I'm curious to hear the thoughts around, you know, how do you kind of keep that focused vision? Yeah, I mean, for us, Hades we deliberately had our sort of shortest pre-production period we'd ever had. We wanted to see what we could do with a really focused pre-production period and then planned to launch into early access to try to try a new process of development for us and, and to really try to refine the game with the help of an audience and make it as good as we could um, with, with the input of players. And so I think part of the thing that kept us really honest was we had to deliver stuff regularly to humans who would play and evaluate <laughs> it and give us feedback. So that's a really powerful uh, motivator for staying on track, I think, is just we are now responsible to other people who aren't just us. And that added layer of uh, of incentive there, I think, is really was really good for keeping us on a sort of pre-regimented uh, schedule for Hades. Yeah. The scary thing with, like, with Hades and with uh, Kentucky Route Zero is you're making decisions like so early on in the process that you have to stick with in a lot of ways. And I know what they found, like I was making big story changes like weeks out from release. Mm. And that just wouldn't be possible in this world where like people have already played the first like, you know, two hours of the game or whatever. Um, so yeah. yeah, fair play, that's pretty, pretty scary. I'm actually I'm actually curious to hear more about that from 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 if and I, I want to know, you know, you you have had this kind of fascinating juxtaposition between you know balancing the game's kind of grounded elements that are there and then mm -hmm. you know these really surreal plot threads that are kind of you know woven in there you know what was the kind of inspiration yeah. behind presenting the game in that way the inspiration came from so we started off with a diary and then we realized we could erase it and we could erase like not just like the text but like layer 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 and then yeah. also at the time we had this kind of zooming mechanic which gives this massive scale of things which is in there but like no one notices because it kind of just flows forward automatically we used to have control um yeah. but that scale of things just brought the black hole in and it was kind of always like the emotional center of it you know it was this thing that was always eating away casio and gnawing at her and there had to be a moment when everything was obliterated uh because, you know, it's a video game and you want big explosions. <laughs> so yeah, the planet gets destroyed at one point, I think, like in a, in a, in a freaky climaxy sequence. Uh, but then it's kind of like, you know, the end of the world is like rebirth. But um, yeah, the black hole was always there as, a, as an emotional thing. And there was points in the story where the two threads were like one thread. And the story was the story of Cassiopeia, uh, the astronaut. <laughs> but it was just so much more interesting to me to delve into the real life stuff but when we had the real life stuff without the black hole stuff, it was just like, it didn't have that weight. So the black hole is very much, um, it lets us get a bit like weird and it lets us, you know, do things that feel true 
uh, without necessarily being like a biography. You know, no one's going to write a biography of uh, an American president with a black hole or something. You know, <laughs> you never we know. We can do it because you, ne- you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Until we My have, life like, has know, a black hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, with the way things are working, you never know. You never, you never know where those stories will wind up coming. I think, you know, obviously, I still I'm, want I'm... to find out. There's like the idea of Planet X, which is this planet I passed, like Pluto, and it's yeah. what like our black hole is called. And I still want that to be discovered to be like a primordial black hole. That's my hope. That's, uh, <laughs> like hopefully nature is like on our marketing side. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Nature's gonna be like, hey, we got you, we got you. Here's our vertical <laughs> slice of, of what we give you from nature, <laughs> and see yeah, if we like can true. figure it out in that way. True. Um, true. I'm I'm really curious to to hear your thoughts about why Seattle was the place to kind of land uh, uh, your game in and kind of have that be the backdrop for 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 coffee talk. Uh, yeah, one of the reason is we needed a setting that's in like a perpetual rain. <laughs> and we thought like, oh, uh, Seattle has a very high, you know, like, um, you know, rain um, throughout the year. So that's like one reason. Um, the second reason is like one of the biggest, you know, like coffee uh, chains uh, started in, in Seattle. So that's, you know, th- those two reasons is like why we choose Seattle. Ah, okay. That, that I mean, that makes total sense. I mean, the the the, the way that that kind of lines up that that actually hits uh, totally totally in line with what that would mean. I, I'm also curious to hear your thoughts about how you've kind of landed that. Ah, okay. That, that I mean, that makes total sense. I mean, the the the, the way that that kind of lines up that that actually hits uh, totally totally in line with what that would mean. I, I'm also curious to hear your thoughts about how you've kind of landed them not only in Seattle as a, as a kind of, you know, backdrop for the game, but also kind of digging into this alternate reality version of the characters that you've built. Um, and, and, and why, why did you decide to go in that direction as opposed to, you know, just having, you know, human characters kind of inhabit the coffee shop? Yeah. So we, we realized like early on in the game development um, that, the topic is uh, it could be somewhat sensitive, and um, you know because we we talk about like racial issues um, and you know immigration and stuff like that. So we we wanted to to make it like um, you know like talk about those tough topics, but kind of like put it in a uh, you know like a in a different perspective. So that it's easier for people who played it to kind of like uh, absorb the the story um, without having any you know pre-existing prejudices or um, you know stuff like that. So we decided to make the game in an alternate reality uh, where you know orcs, elves, and you know all these fantasy creatures live, uh, but then they would kind of like mirror actual people in in this world and you know real problems that we might. Uh, actually have and that you know uh, that turns out to be you know a, a lot um easier for people to kind of like you know be immersed in the in the story and hopefully it will give them like um uh you know like food for thought or like you know a, a thought provoking uh you know conversation 
true. Um, true. RV, I'm, I'm kind of curious to, to hear from you too about, you know, Noida and about, you know, kind of, you know, there's so much attention to detail. There's so much kind of like crammed into, you know, the game in that way that, that really impresses the player uh, from all these different aspects. I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, if you were to give, you know, a, another small team some advice about your process, what would it be to kind of help them kind of make the better game that they are hoping to bring to life? Uh, well, of course, the big question here is what is the definition of better? I, I mentioned, sure. uh, like we, we have discussed this and it's of, of course a kind of a subjective thing, but I guess if someone was to make this kind of a uh, dynamic world, very emergent, very interconnected systems kind of thing, uh, kind of like what Noita is, uh, I would say that concentrating very heavily on what exactly it is that is the kind of fun or entertaining or whatever is supposed to be like the important thing of the game and uh, how do you bring the player as close to it as possible? How, how do you let the player get as much from it as possible for, for us? We had this, as I mentioned earlier, we had this uh, physics system, every pixel is simulated, and we knew that it's it's a lot of fun. It was fun to toy with. There have been this powder toy uh, browser games for a long time that ha haven't had like a gameplay element, but have been still a lot of fun to play with. So we knew that it was fun. We noticed that destroying the world, transmuting materials to acid and seeing everything melt was fun to see. But we ran into the problem multiple times where we realized that, oh, if you if the game is just about i don't know you are a living explosion and you explode everything every single time that's that stops being interesting and actually realizing that giving restrictions requ require the player to be more creative by giving restrictions and asking the player how do you creatively work your way around this restriction uh mm. turned out to be a really important part of making the game interesting and making the game kind of a have this balance between the player having freedom to uh, kind of destroy the world and adjust the world, but also having these places where the player has to think, where they can just like barge in and make everything go away and get the prize. There was a, it was a kind of a tight balance, but also a very interesting design problem that we spent quite a lot of time working on. So I, I would imagine that what I just said uh, distilled into some kind of a very wise sounding sentence <laughs> would be the best advice to give uh, to a team who wanted to follow in our footsteps. Also, taking stuff from the mythology of your own country and using that in a game, because hmm. I don't think there, are be, there has been a game that's ha that has had as many allusions to specifically Finnish mythology on the market so far. <laughs> I might be wrong, but I think that especially those of our players who really get deep into the game, they have seemed to uh, appreciate kind of a unusual mythology that doesn't, doesn't, hasn't really happened or appeared that much in games. Like Dark Souls is medieval, uh, medieval mythology. It would be surprising to see like a, I don't know, Finnish god somewhere, somewhere there, something. I would be excited. If I would, I would love that. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I dig too. I, I want people to, to dig into to their backgrounds and their cultural backgrounds to, to, to give us more stories. Because again, you know, this space is perfect for that. It gives so many different versions of, of ways to kind of dig into that in a real way. Yeah, um, I think we could make like a 
collaborational game that is a the autobiography of a black hole with like Nordic mythology <laughs> included. Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was like holes. a huge thing with the find as well. Was like making a like so super Irish that it needs like annotations to understand. You know, <laughs> like like we have so many games that are set in like Hollywood versions of things that aren't any, aren't even the real thing. So like even in Kentucky Route Zero, it was cool that like you know like like this is pulling from the real world as opposed to Hollywood mm-hmm. uh and like Katie's got like so specific into the mythology but yeah I want more more Finnish games and more games set in like like the arts end of nowhere it'd be amazing <laughs> yeah that would be super yeah. cool I would I, I'm dying for more stuff like that I think there's so much so so many cool things that we can dig into from from those perspectives that again there's space for it we just have to find folks who have the time and the energy <laughs> to make it happen uh, in a real way um we are at one of my favorite parts my favorite part in general of doing these wonderful conversations is now i get to give an award away uh to, oh. to one of you amazing folks um hey our, our our winner for outstanding achievement for an indie game for the 24th annual dice awards goes to hades hades is our winner congrats. all right congratulations congrats 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 <laughs> Give, give wow. the folks a little bit at home, uh, a, a couple of words. Yeah, geez. Thank you so much to Dice. This is amazing. Uh, and uh, it's been a wild ride since Hades released uh, into 1.0 in September. I mean, I want to say thank you to the incredible team of people that I work with at Supergiant, who are some of the best people I know and some of the most talented people I've ever met in my whole life. And I get to work with them every day. So that's awesome. Uh, I would like to say that I'm very grateful to our players for being so incredibly supportive and, and effusive and, and really just coming along for the ride players who joined us in early access and the players who joined us since and, and to see, um, the, the reaction to Hades, uh, kind of blow up in a way that, that none of our, our previous games have to a degree has been really incredible, especially in sort of like a pretty dark time, a dark period in the world. It's nice to see, uh, people saying, having things to say about Hades, that it helped them through something it helped them cope with something it helped them deal with the, it was, it was, it was a mirror for their daily life. <laughs> you know, all, all that kind of stuff was really incredible for me personally to see. So I am, uh, I, I feel incredibly honored uh, to receive this award on, on behalf of Supergiants. So thank, thank you so much. The Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences is excited to share that the 2022 DICE Summit and DICE Awards will be returning in person to the gorgeous Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino and Delano Hotel in Las Vegas on February 22nd to 24th, 2022. We'll be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the DICE Awards and bringing together industry leaders to share their ideas about the many facets of the interactive entertainment industry. Stay tuned to www.interactive.org and our Twitter at official underscore AIAS for more details coming soon, including special anniversary rates. We can't wait to see you again.